Well, you know the story. You've sung it. Baby Jesus born in Bethlehem. You know some details. Uh, A journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. No room for Mary and Joseph. A baby wrapped in cloths, placed in a manger. Shepherds, angels, wise men bearing gifts. Unless you come from a very different culture and are new to church, in which case a very warm welcome to you, you know the details God considers worthy of recording about the birth of Jesus. Not height and weight and mother and baby doing well, but these details. And the question is, what do they mean for us? What does the story of me, uh, what does the story mean and, and what do the details mean? What do they say to us? Are you like Mary, someone who treasures up all these things, counts their value and, and ponders them in your heart? There's no need to rush, even if you have a busy day ahead. It's worth pondering these things. Or am I just a a pause before we sing again and we go our separate ways? Uh, I don't really mind. I'm just glad that you're here to celebrate the birth of our Saviour. But there is significance in each detail. I hope they together convince you, either for the first time or again, that our God loves us in wonderful and mysterious ways and is worthy of our love today and for the rest of our lives. Luke tells us these events happened in the days of Caesar Augustus, the first great emperor of Rome, while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Most scholars date that to about 4 BC, and uh, that often brings a slight smile to our faces, that Jesus was born four years before Jesus was born. But what's four years between friends? The point is that these are real people who lived in time and space like us. Uh, This story is not myth or fantasy, it's history. Our history. Our story, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not. For in terms of his global impact, Jesus is the most significant person who has ever lived. Nazareth and Bethlehem are are real places. They existed then, they exist today. We're told Joseph went to Bethlehem, the city of David, because he belonged to the house and line of King David. That first reading was a prophecy from from Nathan to King David about what life would be like under King David, but more importantly about what life would be under like under a a king who would come in the line of David, who would reign forever. Up until then, David had been Israel's greatest king, uh, and Joseph's ancestry is significant because uh, of, of that first reading. God had promised David there would be a much greater king in his line who would reign forever. This baby had the right lineage to be the saviour of the world. This lineage matters to our salvation. Uh, It matters to your salvation. The status and rights you will carry 
into eternity. It's significant that uh, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. They were not yet living together as man and wife. Joseph was not the father of the child in Mary's womb. The Apostle Matthew tells us that Joseph did not consummate their marriage until Mary gave birth to a son. Yet Joseph knew that a young mother needs the help of a husband. And he knew that a child needs a father in all sorts of ways. So he was there when it came time for the baby to be born. Uh, I'm not going to make uh, this into a sermon about the responsibilities of parents and the God-givenness of adoption, but there is much that young men around the world today could learn from Joseph. Our translation reads that after Jesus was born, he was wrapped in clothes, in cloths and placed in a manger, uh, an animal food trough, because there was no guest room available for Joseph and Mary. Uh, this is a better translation than, than the old one, that there was no room at the inn. The old translation conjures up pictures of Mary and Joseph uh, wandering from cheap hotel to cheap hotel, staring at the equivalent of no vacancy signs, uh, and Mary saying, Joseph, I told you we should book ahead. It's always busy on long weekends. Uh, oh, there's a stable. Uh, that'll have to do. Um, I'm sorry that there is no mention of a stable, uh, which is a bit of a pity because I quite like the dad joke about uh, Mary and Joseph having a stable relationship. But uh, I'm not going to take it out of our carols. We'll still sing of, uh, of mangers. Uh, and there was probably no lack of hospitality. Hospitality was an essential ingredient of Middle Eastern society. Family and total strangers had to take travellers in and, and give them whatever they could. The cultural historians suggest that a, a standard poorhouse had two living levels, a raised area where the humans lived and uh, but possibly had a guest room, uh, and a ground floor level where the animals were kept. So Mary and Joseph had a place to stay. There just wasn't enough room for Jesus in the living area. If there was a guest room, it was already full. So we can't say that right from the start Jesus was unwelcome, although he would become very unwelcome later. So unwelcome he would be killed. No, the, man, the main point of this detail is that Jesus had a very humble beginning. No palace for this king, this descendant of David. He started as he continued among the poor and insignificant. Jesus understands the struggles of poverty and the lack of security. He knows what hunger and pain are like. He knows what human life is like because he lived it. He would go on to be the friend of sinners. But from the start, he did not set himself above the people he came to teach and save. And of course, even though he was the son of God, he was also born to a woman. And somehow each one of us needs to know what it means for us, for Jesus to be the only Son of God, born of God, born of woman. We can't fudge it. All life is special to God. Each one of us has, in a sense, been made by God 
for relationship with God and to enjoy him as father. But only Jesus had the equivalent of the DNA of God. Only Jesus is of the same nature and essence as God. It won't surprise you to know that my mother and father were human. Uh, I am only human. A good friend of mine, when explaining this, used to say, a chicken is a chicken because its mummy and daddy were chickens. Jesus isn't a chicken. He is who he is because Mary was his mother and God was his father. So Jesus is both human and divine. And that matters because no one else has ever been both human and divine. From this we get our understanding of the two natures of Jesus, both fully God and fully human, not part God and part human. Jesus had all the attributes and, uh, that we associate with being human. He was rational, intelligent. He was relational, like us. He was made in the image of God for relationship with God and for other humans. His role was to care for creation and to love his neighbours. And that's exactly the same for us. And yet he also had all the attributes and relationships of God. He created the universe. He transcends the material world. He is perfectly wise, perfectly merciful and perfectly loving. He had been with the Father and the Holy Spirit in eternity, in the mysterious indwelling of love that we call God. And this means that our faith is in a real person, a person we will see in all his materiality and heavenly splendour when he returns. I don't believe in an abstract concept of God or some distant power. I believe in Jesus Christ, God with us, born of Mary, who lived and died and was raised and will come again. This is who I trust. <coughs> we may have difficulty getting our minds around what it would be like to be both human and divine. Uh, Jesus is unique, and therefore no analogy will come close to describing him. We need to be careful how we deal with this. If we allow ourselves to drift from what God says, we may ask, when Jesus was lying in that manger, did he look up at Mary and think, you know you're changing the nappy of the Son of God? Well, the Bible saves us from that. We read in Philippians 2.7 that the Son of God made himself nothing by, making, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus emptied himself of anything that would stop him from being fully human so he could experience full humanity. In Hebrews 5.8, we read that although Jesus was the Son of God, excuse me, <coughs> I had COVID a few weeks ago and I've still got some of the hangover from it, so I'm sorry about that. So we read in Hebrews 5.8, we read that although Jesus was the Son of God, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And Jesus learned that Scripture, he learned it by hard work just as we do. And he grew up like humans grow up because he was fully human. 
There is nothing easy about Jesus' birth or his life. He experienced the temptations we face and more as we will look at the life of Jesus uh, in Mark's Gospel next year, just uh, a month or so away. So at the same time, Jesus is one of us and on our side, and yet holy and perfect and powerful in his full divinity. He could show us how to be human, and yet he could be the perfect sacrifice for us. Our salvation turns on the fact that Mary was his mother and God was his father. It's really significant. Luke doesn't dwell on this here. The rest of his gospel explores the implications of the two uh, natures of Jesus and uh, we'll look at that in the year ahead. But Luke does tell us here that there were shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. What does that mean for us? We can move on from the cute nativity scenes with children dressed in dressing gowns and tea towels wrapped around their heads, delightful that those, those are. Shepherds lived on the fringes of society. They were seen by some as uncouth, smelly, and often untrustworthy. They lived hard, dangerous lives, fighting off lions and thieves. Yet the birth of Jesus was to be such good news for these shepherds that God sent an angel, his special messenger, to light up their lives. And the whole of heaven was excited. Angels had appeared before, but not a great company from the heavenly host. Angels, seraphim, cherubim, all praising God because of the birth of this baby. These heavenly beings were used to the glory and ways of God. So it must have been special for them to get so excited over this baby. We should not hold back from sharing this sense of wonder and excitement. The good news of Jesus, God with us, was a, a message for shepherds. We don't have many shepherds in Glebe today. But we have many people living poor, simple lives and quite a few living on the edges. We aren't angels, but we can be messengers of God, sharing the good news of Jesus by word and sacrament and practical care. And we can learn from these shepherds that they listened to God's messenger. They were not daunted either by the shining glory or by the message. The shepherds themselves spread the good news. And let's be clear, the good news was not that a baby had been born and was in a manger. Babies get born in poverty all the time. The news that spread was the news that he had, they had heard from the angel. Do not be afraid, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The longed-for saviour had come, their saviour, our saviour. That is the great news we have to share, and we will in the coming year. There is a job for us all to do. 
And the shepherds glorified and praised God. And that is what we're doing today. We glorify by listening and by treasuring, by singing and in our obedience and in our praise and wonder. In Luke's Gospel, we don't have the account of the wise men. We find that in Matthew's Gospel. But it's a detail worth considering. This is how it goes. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came from Jerusalem, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. The Magi later followed a star to Bethlehem and gave presents to Jesus of gold, frankincense and myrrh as we sang. And what do these details mean for us? We take it that God led the Magi to Bethlehem by this star. God is in control of their travel arrangements and he controls the stars. I guess we should expect that. He created the stars and put them in place and holds them there from moment to moment by the power of his will. No God, no stars, no universe. In this detail, we learn something about God. But, but what about the Magi? The nature of these Magi gets hidden behind translations like wise men or kings, we three kings of Orient time. Uh, as I said a couple of weeks ago, the best translation is astrologer. These magi studied the stars, interpreted dreams, and engaged in occult practices. Looked at positively, they were people searching for truth in the stars, in dreams, and anything else that could, that, that could help them. And here, they were led by God to this newborn son, where there is truth. They came looking for a king, the Messiah, and they found him in Jesus. And they bowed down and worshipped him and gave him presents worthy of a king. Many of us are searching. Many of us have questions. And we learn from this, particularly if we read on, that the best answers are found in Jesus. God has included us in his great story and given us a great story to tell. The details help us to understand God's characters, ways and priorities, and they should fill us with wonder and thanks. Well, it's time to finish. You've done enough. It is time to party. You have honoured God by being here. You have sung his praises, and I hope your eyes are filled with Wonder at what God did in coming to live with us. As I said at the beginning, there is significance in each detail. My prayer is that this Christmas you rejoice that our God loves us in such wonderful and mysterious ways and knows he is worthy of our love today and for the rest of our lives. Don't, don't let the rest of this day take away from that wonder. And let's now stand and sing of the joy that came into the world with the birth of Jesus.